it's kind of bittersweet when you feel the pulpit for a pastor that is unwell, a little sick today. Uh, you you wish that uh, that he could be here. I'm sure he's missing his time with you guys, but I am certainly glad that I that I am here. Um, if you would go ahead and open your Bibles, please, either through the physical pages or E or whatever it te- you do to to look into the Word of God. I want to encourage you to do that. If you do not have a personal time, a personal devotional time with God every day through His Word, let me encourage you to do so. Uh, he has all the answers. I don't. Okay. I'll just tell you what God says in his word, and we'll be uh, looking in that. I also want to, uh, all the fathers, also, just thank you for standing in the gap for your children, being the priest to your family and to your children. Thank you for doing that, and I pray that you continue to do so. Uh, John chapter 12 is where we're going to be, John chapter 12. This passage of scripture has kind of gotten my attention um, here in the last year. I am just turning on my clock more than anything else, okay? Now, one of my first, my first class in seminary was the preaching class. God knew what I needed right off the bat, evidently. And uh, the, the, the professor said there, says, you have to remember that your job is to preach the word. The congregation's job is to listen to the word. You just need to complete your job before they do. So that's. <laughs> and uh, I have a little bit of ADD. And uh, if you don't grab my attention, I, I, I go someplace else. So uh, I understand this completely. But one of the things that that got me is that as we look here at this passage of of John chapter 12, starting in verse 20, is that we have to remember that we need to take all Scripture that we quote, which we preach, which we teach, and the context in which it is given. It is so easy to take a passage of Scripture, lift it out of the Bible, and make it say something that it never intended. One of the things that first taught me this was, I can't remember the whole passage, but it was talking about the enemies, and it says, you shall heap burning coals upon their head. And I'm going, that's right, you know. Punish my enemies. Get even with them, God. But if you go and you look at that scripture in context, it is saying, kill them with kindness. So you see how important it is to take the scripture into the context in which it is written. John is unique in the Gospels. The other three Gospels primarily deal with the humanity of Jesus. John deals primarily with the divinity of Jesus. His glory, his holiness, his his mightiness, his righteousness. And he presents Jesus as not only in his humanity, but also in his Godship. A place that I don't think we concentrate near enough. When we lose 
our all of God, when we lose our inspiration of who God is, we lose sight of Him directing us, hearing from Him, knowing that this great God loves us so much and is always there for us even when the times that are hard and he is so silent. That we need to remember God's holiness and worship him still. As we look at these scriptures, we need to remember one thing, then we'll read. And that is, this is Jesus' last week on earth. In seven days, he is going to the cross. This is the context of the passage that we read this morning. John chapter 12, starting in verse 20, says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Man, what a, what a statement. What a statement. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let us pray in the honor of reading God's holy word. Father God, we thank you for your holy word. Every word is inspired by you. Every word is truth, your truth. It does not depend upon our opinion and of it or anybody else's opinion. Your word is true. It reveals to us who you are and how we respond to your presence, your holiness, your word in our life. Father, I pray now that you open our hearts and our ears and our eyes God as these people have come today in our scripture God let us see you it's in Christ's name I pray amen I can say these verses need to be taken in the context in which they are written It is the last week in Jesus' life. He is about to go to the cross. I don't know about you, but I get unsettled when I have to go to the dentist, okay? But to know of something so horrific is about to happen in your life. I think of people that have been diagnosed with diseases incurable heart diseases, cancers, and alike. 
knowing that the end is going to come, knowing how the end is going to come, and there's nothing that you can do about it. And we have to remember that Jesus is 100% man, but he is also 100% God, and he, and he feels the pressure, he feels the urgency of the coming events. But even though that he feels his urgency, we also read here that there is no panic in him. Why? Because Jesus is God. He is in absolute control of all things at all times. Nothing ever takes him off guard. Nothing ever happens that, 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 uh, that he cannot handle. He knows how to handle every situation before it ever comes to our attention because he already knows about it. For me to explain this, I'm sorry, I can't, okay? I didn't go to enough seminary classes for, for that class, but I know my God. And I know it. he is absolutely dependable and trustworthy. He is without lie. He is without deceit. He is without falsehood. He is without error. He is 100% up until this point Jesus has been doing some amazing things and the Jews kept coming to him and we can see this uh, in chapter 11 and the first part of here of chapter 12 as well is that the Jewish people especially the leadership will come up to Jesus and they say show us a sign Show us a sign of who you are. Show us a sign so that we can believe you. We sang the song, Good, Good Father, and it starts out by this thing. Well, I've heard many stories of who you are. See, if we look at the news cycles, if we look on the chat rooms and things of this nature... Everybody has an opinion about who Jesus is. Some are the opinion that do not back or are not backed by Scripture. We conjure up a Jesus. We conjure up a God in our own image that will make us feel comfortable and will allow us to live our lives according to how we would like to live them. We should not take this as a surprise because Scripture is quite clear. It says in the end days, and I believe that we are living in these end days, that evil will become good and good will become evil. And we see people justifying their lives by the Scriptures that they quote because they're quoting them and using them out of context. And then we have this group here of Greeks. It says, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. You and I, we, we look at that scripture, we look at that passage there, and we just kind of gloss over it for two reasons. One, we're Gentiles, okay? We're Greeks. If you wasn't a Jew, you was a Greek. That, that, there was no gray area there. And we have to remember that this is the Passover. This is what it says in, in verse 1 of, of chapter 12. It says, six days before the Passover. 
And the Passover is this, is when they commemorated them coming out of Egypt, that God, if you, if you did not apply the blood of that lamb to the doorpost of your house, the death angel would come, and if that blood was not applied, then the firstborn in that household would die. And this was one of the one of three major events, major festivals that you were required to be a part of every year in Jerusalem. So there's a great multitude here. And these Greeks are coming and they are worshiping. Now, we have to go back and understand really the context of all of this. At the temple, there is a courtyard for the Gentiles. And they say it in nice words, but in the essence is this. You can come here, but you can come no further. You are not worthy to worship with everybody else. Now, when I was reading this, I'm thinking, well, they got these Hellenist Greeks. These Hellenist Gentiles. And these were actually Jewish people living, well, born in and living in the Gentile world. Okay? Kind of like me and Dolores. We're, you know, we're Christian, but we came up here. We're Southern. We came up here to this foreign land. And we were talking about yesterday about the weather and everything. It says, we ain't going back to Mississippi, okay? It's just way too hot down there for us. We, we, we love it here. But we are kind of like fish out of water. Still Christian. But it's really not the culture in which we grew up in. And these were not Hellenist Jews. These were just everyday, run-of-the-mill Greek people coming to worship the Almighty God. We have the Jewish people, and they come to Jesus, and they say, show us a sign. These people came up, and they say, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Meaning, they wanted an audience with Jesus. Well, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want an audience with Jesus? The creator and sustainer of the universe. The one who died for me and you on the cross at Calvary. Who wouldn't want an audience with Jesus? But we have to understand this too. That the Greeks, the Gentiles, were different in their mindset from the Jewish people. The Jewish people would say, show me some physical evidence of who you are. The Greeks say, let's debate about this. I got some questions about some of your theology. What, do you, what is your opinion on this? And what is your opinion on that? They, they wanted knowledge. Knowledge was everything. I think we can all agree knowledge is pretty big, isn't it? Everybody has this innate desire for knowledge. But more than that, these people were wanting what Jesus had. And see, whether you were Jewish or whether you were Gentile, it doesn't matter. You were all created by the same God. 
We were all created with that same DNA that says we want to know Jesus. We can't help it. We can deny it. We can put it to the side. We can talk maliciously about it. But it is in our DNA. It is in our character that every one person born is looking for God. It's just the way that we're created. And these people that came to worship God at that, at that temple, they knew that they couldn't go in. But they came anyway. There was something, there was something that drew their attention. There was something that, that tugged at their soul that said, I've got to know more. Most of them came out of the background of, of seeking knowledge, of seeking other opinions. They came, became disillusioned with their own culture, with their own gods. And they saw something in the Lord God, Jehovah Yahweh, that was missing in their life and in the lives in which they grew up in. Mostly they were looking for how to be good people. Isn't that what the rich young ruler did when he came up to Jesus? What, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? See, we confuse morality with Christianity. Paul writes, no one is good. We are all like filthy rags. We're not good. Our goodness will not get us into the doors of heaven. Our goodness will not allow us to be in the presence of God. No matter how good we are. But morality, goodness, righteousness come from a relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can give us these things. But I'm so thankful that, that there's a starting place with both the Jew and the Gentile. Both, both are coming with, I'd say, immature reasoning. But isn't that where we all come from? Not everybody has that Damascus Road experience of what Paul had. Until suddenly that, that God comes in such a way that you cannot deny him and such a presence and such a twinkling of an eye, such an instant type thing. Most of us come to Christ gradually. We come, we, we start going to church, we start asking questions, we, we listen to the songs, we listen to the messages, we, we do the studying and things. And little bit by little bit, God's Holy Spirit grips us and we surrender. 
And it was these people that were coming and just wanting to know more of who Jesus were. They've heard the stories. They, they've heard all of these things, but they wanted to know for themselves. And see, Jesus is open to all people. He's open to the Jew. He's open to the Gentile. And I thank God for Philip and Andrew. They were Jewish men. Raised up in the Jewish Hebrew culture. They lived just outside of Jerusalem. Been there many times in their life. They knew that, that Gentiles were really not included. They didn't have all the same rights that the Jewish people had. They could have told these people, no, no time for you, you're Gentile, Jesus ain't got no time for you. But no, they grew up. They, for three, three and a half years, Peter and Philip were with Jesus for 24 hours a day, seven days a week during those three years. And they saw and they lived Jesus. They, they walked out what Jesus was teaching. And that his love, that God's righteousness, that God's presence was for everybody, regardless of who they were and where they came from. They wanted to see Jesus. Not what the Jewish people were talking about, not what their other fellows were talking about. They wanted to hear it from Jesus himself. No substitutes. Jesus. The Bible here, our scriptures, do not say if Jesus granted them an audience or not. But he listened to his words here, starting in verse 23. And Jesus answered them, and that is everybody that's standing around, okay? Jesus is surrounded by all of this group. Everybody's listening in. Everybody still wants to know. Uh, uh, so they, they're, they're, he's telling everybody. See, the, 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 these Gentiles are coming, these Greeks are coming to for a theological debate. Notice how Jesus answered them here, verse 23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. There is no theological debate. Okay? Jesus is looking forward to the cross. Remember I said there was a sense of urgency. Not panic. Urgency. See, Jesus is in control. 
It was urgent because he knew that he was going to die. It was urgent because he had to have everything in place for when he went to the cross, people are not understanding. Even disciples, days after the, even the resurrection, they still, not, still did not understand completely, as we don't understand completely, the resurrection, the cross. Jesus knew that, that those apostles and, and the other disciples were going to be there. He knew that he was going to send the Holy Spirit there in Acts. He knew that, that all of his teaching would not go unnoticed, that it will be carried on. So there was no panic. It was just an urgency to let's get things all put in order for right now. Up in this point, people were coming to Jesus, wanting to be healed, wanted to have these theological debates and everything. And Jesus was showing them who he was through the miracles. And he, and he would talk to them about the theology of, of God. But now he's saying a little bit something different here. He says, that time has passed. The time for all this inquiry is, is gone. says, now it's put up or shut up. C.S. Lewis asked this question, is God who he says he is, or is he not? And that's the question that we need to be asking. Is this God who he says he is? And if he is, let's get busy worshiping him. Let's get busy living for him. And this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is talking about his death. How do I know this? What did I tell you about context? Look at verse 27. Now is my soul troubled? And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood here and heard it said that it was a thunder, and, and others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice came for your sake, not mine. Not in the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus said to him, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, yet lest the darkness take, overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you have become the sons of light. See, Jesus in, in verses 23 through 26 is telling people that you have to die to self. when we become a Christian our lives are not our own anymore look at what he says in verse 26 
if anyone serves me, what does it say? He must follow me. Jesus is not saying, you know, it's a good idea if you just take some of these things that I have and just kind of apply them to your life, you know. These are real, just some real good suggestions that I have for you. No, it's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying you must do these things. You must deny yourself. You must focus on Christ. You must obey him. How much? Completely. I don't know about you, but I fall short of that every day. Every day. He says that we are to deny ourselves. This world, this life that God has given us is not ours. It's just given to us. Paul says that we are bought with a price and that price is the blood of Jesus Christ. And Jesus there in verses 27 through uh, 36 tells us what does this look like? Jesus was going to the cross and and in uh, Philippians chapter 2 starting in verse 5 says, well, verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interest okay Jesus is not saying that you are not to look after yourselves okay Jesus is not saying don't says neglect your family no Jesus is not saying that Jesus is not saying that you don't make a life for you and your family. You do not provide, you know, you are to provide for them. You are to provide clothing and shelter and food. You are to provide everything that they need for a good, comfortable life. But not at the expense of others. But also the interest of others. Have this mind, the mind of Christ, among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but entered himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus is telling that group, and he is telling us, this is what denying yourself looks like. Jesus has said these things before. And there was a multitude of crowd that were around him. And they started to disperse because they said these things are too hard. And Jesus looked at the apostles and, and says, what about you? Are you going to desert me now? And Peter answered, I think. We, we, we think that Peter answered for the whole group said where should we go you have the words of eternal life there's no other place to go 
that Jesus is telling us is that when we see him, when we're seeking him, we're forsaking all things else. All things else. What that looks like for you is between you and God. For me and Dolores, it was leaving Mississippi. She was born in California. I was born in Mississippi. She, from six years old, I think, was in Mississippi until we left. Our families were there. Our lives were there. Our daughter was there. She's in Texas now. But that's what God called us to do. And we had to make that choice. God, are you the God who you say you are? Are you the one that, that, is, that has promised to look over me, that has provided all of this time, or are you not? And we felt like since this, it was Jesus who went to the cross for us, who denied all of the comforts, who went through the pain and the shame of the cross for you and for me. Who paid the penalty for our sins. Him who knew no sin took our sins upon him and suffered the full wrath of God. If you want to know what the wrath of God looks like, Look at the plagues on the Ten Commandments. Look at the plagues and the bowls of wrath in the, book, in the book of Revelations. That's what Jesus took on the cross for me and you. He forsook everything else for me and you. He died to himself so that we might have life. And Jesus is calling us to do the same thing. To deny ourselves. To, to pour our life into the lives of other people. Do we have all the answers? No, we do not. But we know who does. We know that He does. And He loves us and cares for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son and that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. When we look at life, our life, in this way, it seems so insignificant. What is this life compared to the next? An eternity of always being in the presence of God. Such a little price compared to the price that Christ paid for us. I pray that we take these words this morning from Scripture and mean them from the heart. We want to see Jesus. Not as I want to see Him. Not as others say who Jesus is but we want to get down and we want to see the real Jesus the Jesus who died for me and you 
the Jesus who gave up everything that we might have life and that we might share that life with other people. Let's pray. Father God, and we come before you today again to praise you and to thank you for your word. And Father, we come recognizing that we fall way too short of what you want us to be, what you have commanded us to be. But yet you love us anyway. You went to that cross knowing how we are. Father, I pray today as we look at this world that is floundering before our very eyes that God that we would represent the real Jesus to the world the world is looking for something genuine and authentic Father the world knows that in our personal lives we do not have the answer but Father in our life in you you do have the answers. And Father, let our life point to you. Let, let us point others, Father, to you. Father, let them see Jesus and glory in his name. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning.